Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. Hey, guys. On the panel today, we've got David, not Greg. Hope we didn't catch anybody with their hair wet and their pants down. Okay. Okay, I have uh, to know what that was <laughs> <laughs> We're hoping that's a quote. You know, yeah, so we know you open with Star Trek quotes, but I'm not familiar with that one. That would be Captain Pike. Ah, Sounds like yes. a Sunday morning at Convergence. <laughs> More or less, yes. Uh, that's uh, Siobhan joining us. Hey, everybody. Uh, we've also got Samaria. Happy Sunday. And DW. Forsooth. Uh, Saima not able to join us today. She's, uh, she's feeling a bit under the weather recently, so she's, she's not able to make the recordings, but, uh, all of our love going out to Saima, uh, we hope you, you feel better soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Always. uh, Axel and, and Greg, they, they have no excuse. They're just not here. <laughs> uh, today we are going to we're going to launch into uh, a rewatch of the first season in anticipation of the second season coming out um, and I'm also kind of hoping that this might be a good jump on spot for new listeners so if you're a new listener welcome to the show we're happy to have you uh, thanks for coming um, and I think with that we're just going to get right into it we're just going to launch straight into our coverage of this first episode leave taking uh, now that we've we've already discussed all the episodes and talked a little bit more about what's going on in, in this world, I'm really interested to see what new things or what deeper connection you guys have to this now. So we're going to start off with our opening scene. We have Moraine uh, just kind of doing the classic getting ready montage with a voiceover, uh, talking, talking about the basics of this world. Um, and... We just see her, you know, getting getting her stuff together, doing, we got to have a montage. And, you know, she gets her, her jacket on. She gets her her, her uh, angriol in, in her pocket, and she goes and gets her warder, and they head off and in, in, on to adventure. Uh, did we see anything, catch anything new this time around? They really do leave in the, in, at night. Like, I, obviously, I noticed this, but I didn't really think anything of it. But Maureen's, like, she's sneaking out i guess as much as you can sneak out without being like quiet about it but um you know it's yeah it's... she's sneaking out in her brilliant blue outfit that that glows in the dark out the front door definitely yeah. not caring about making a lot of noise um but you but know also it's not nighttime. likely to be cornered by leandrin yeah for real yeah. Um, like absolutely stalks her heels she probably made sure that leandrin was meeting with her friend in in the north harbor Yes, and sent her with the good drugs, so she wouldn't be back anytime soon. <laughs> but well, I wonder if they're following Leandrin because the next scene they're kind of watching what's happening. Yeah, yeah, so it's next... possible that they're maybe Leandrin snuck out. Yeah, and then oh. they're following her, and and they're doing it quickly. Yeah, good thoughts. Now, the thing I noticed was uh, being much more aware of what the significance was of all the items getting ready, the significance of the ring, the significance of the Angreal. Uh, like, yeah. Those meant nothing to me the first time watching. Now watching is like, oh, okay, yeah, now I see, and that's, oh, and that. But I also, I found myself, because with this rewatch, we were like, oh, what, what did you miss? And so I found myself, like, as she's putting her robe on, like, looking, are there scars we're supposed to see? And, like, <laughs> like, what, what is the purpose for this shot? What is this supposed to reveal? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember the the first time through when we got to episode eight. Um, she she gave Rand the Angriol, and and I think most of you were like, "Where the hell did that thing come from?" And I'm like, "It was right there in the first first scene of the show." <laughs> Yeah, but it. she was wrapping up her favorite toy for all we knew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My daddy gave this to me and I will carry it with me till I die. Like, there was no reveal of it. There was no mention of it yeah, for the rest of the time. That's true. It, it, <laughs> for all you knew, it was like uh, um, Steppen's uh, Forsaken Action figures that he has. <laughs> Could have been something like that, yeah. Uh, so then we have our cold open. As, as you said, it was uh, Leandrin and several Reds, and uh, they're chasing down uh, Edward Norton and Tyler Durden. <laughs> um, they, they, they corner them at, at, at the pass and Leandrin brings some rocks down and, and, uh, Ed Norton is all like, I won't let you hurt Tyler. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's when he finds out that he's kind of crazy and they, well, not so gentle him. I, I don't know why it's called gentling because it never sounds or looks gentle. Nope. It does not. She obviously does not care about these guys because she heads him off at the pass, so to speak, by basically dropping a pile of rocks on his head. She could easily have killed him in that exact moment. And I, I get oh the well. feeling she was hoping she would. Yeah, much yeah. less uh, work to do afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But then she would lose the opportunity to gloat. Knowing what we know about Leandrin later on, uh, yeah, like, she absolutely took this job on purpose. Like, this is a revenge plot of some sort. This is, you know, her enacting out, like, some deep, deep fantasy from long ago about <laughs> about making people suffer. And specifically making men suffer. Because she clearly, she's fine with a woman, obviously. But, you know... I, I, she's not gentling him. She's gentling somebody else through him. <laughs> very, yeah. very much yeah. so, I would say, yeah. One of the things that I noted from this scene, I mean, we we all made comments at the very beginning when we first saw this episode, like, oh, we're not supposed to like her. And you're, you, oh, you guys are all getting the right vibe off of her. Then they did a good job of the right vibe. But with this one, it was also noting things like how much he wasn't at a point where he was trying to attack her. Like he was, he, the madness was telling him to attack and he was saying no and pleading with them just not to hurt his friend. And there was no instinct that you might find in some Red Sedai of, uh, like some sympathy, some like, oh, he's seeing, he's going through the madness. Oh, my friend. No, we're going to, the, all of her talk of we're doing, we're giving you a gift is not in any way sounding like she actually thinks she's giving a gift. She, like there could be red Sedai out there that that like have uh, a certain care for the doing the job, even if it hurts. But finding a way to make it as easy as, and as Samari was saying, like she enjoys every bit of pain this causes somebody. She enjoys like this is this. You're right. She's gentling somebody else. I love that. That was a great great concept. Yeah, I I the thing I really noticed is her opening uh, speech, her little monologue there when she says, "You make it filthy." I, yeah, I picked that which, up too. Which we 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 and especially you now know is not the case. It's it's the filth that that turns the men, not the men that turn the power. And and so, you know, is that uh her bringing her own thing into it? Is that uh over three thousand years they've twisted the story around in their heads? I mean, where where is that? Little from, from column A, little from column B. I mean, yeah. I, I say. 
We all kind of read Leandrin as coming from a place of trauma. Yeah, very much so. But at the same time, it also has been thousands of years of men not being able to touch the source without things going absolutely shit sideways. So yeah, I I I kind of see a double to it though. Not just that she's talking about the source, but this beautiful thing of being able to wield magic. You make that filthy. In other words, by a man doing the magic, the magic is filthy. Like that's, I kind of get it that way too. I see what you guys are saying, but I also feel like the the world, you know, magic makes good things, yet you don't make good things. So she's not trying to say he's, they are creating the taint by being men. She's saying that by men using the power in any way, they're just making the world filthy because men are gross. That's kind of what I got. Okay. I, you know, I can actually kind of uh, follow her on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Now that now that you put it that way, Leandrin has, has a lot of good points. Um. <laughs> we've, switched, we've caused Rearch to switch sides. Well, I, I get Rorik's point too, though, because um, in Moraine's opening monologue, and we've mentioned this before, she's very clear about the magic only being for women and makes a very blatant point about it that's really pompous and, and Leandrin-like. So it's possible yeah. that that is just the, the prevailing opinion over the ages. I that's, mean, that's very true. As a big proponent of misinjury, like I see where they're coming from. Whereas <laughs> they would know the history, like very intimately in a way the general public in this world doesn't. Whereas, you know, men were specifically warned off of going to cage the dragon they were warned off by the female Aes Sedai. They went off and did it anyway, and they were the ones who fucked it up. And so I guess, you know, if you want to take a historical, like, long view of it, it's like, yeah, men are the problem. Like, even beyond, you know, men are, men are, you know, they touch the magic and they corrupt it. Like that, you know, men were the ones who made this very reckless decision, went off to act you know, independently, you know, against very wise counsel and fucked it up for everybody, you know, people who can yeah. wield and people who can't equally. And, you know, it's like you, you make it filthy because you, you did. <laughs> the consequences of your actions made this wrong. And if you believe in reincarnation, all the people who <laughs> made that mistake are still here. <laughs> Kind of like a long way of asking, why are men? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did notice something in, in Moraine's opening speech that was uh, a little bit of a uh, weird pronoun play mm -hmm. where referencing the dragon, you know, initially he, he, he. And then even after the point where she says that the dragon may have been reborn as we don't know if it is a man or a woman. There's still reference of he until the very last line where we must find them. And so I think there also is a bit of an understanding that even if, if this person came back as a she, there's still the taint of what they did and, and the, the not listening to anybody that will still be part of that dragon, which is what, to a certain extent, makes them susceptible from the dark pulling them in that direction. That's an interesting thing I hadn't thought of. If the dragon was a woman, would they still have the damage that was 
done to them by the dark, the dark one in their previous incarnation. Hmm. That is an interesting question. Or would the damage have gone to the female side? Pure speculation. Um, and uh, just to continue on with our 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 show, uh, since we're like two, not even not even to the credits yet. And <laughs> 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 ah, the rest's all just was, talking yeah, and walking, yeah. you know. And then some stuff happens. Yeah. Um, so uh, we see Moraine and Lan watching this whole whole uh, ungentling ungentle process happening um and uh lan says uh well he he's he's about the right age and maureen says it's not him and lan's like but he was the right age and she's like look if it was him we're screwed so it can't be him so you know yellow let's go to the two rivers um and it shows them heading off and we see uh the the ruins of that city that we see from the age of legends later in the season and and yeah, uh, looking at it this time after after seeing that Age of Legends later in the season, it it, it matches up almost perfectly. It's it's it's, it's so, so clear beautiful. now that yeah. I know. The first time I saw it, it was like weird looking mountains. Yeah, and now yeah, it's, it's like so weird looking mountains ruins. with maybe some caves carved in them or something. And yeah. yeah, well, the one as it pans past it, you can see all the way through it, and that's I think the first time I was even like, ooh, parking structure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on, uh, we have our title card, which is just the title card, not even our, our full open uh, credits yet. Um, and then we get uh, Nynaeve and Egwene and uh, the rest of the women's circle, and uh, they're at a, a, a cliff overlooking the stream. They, they kind of make a procession. They all say, Egwene, here's your braid, and yeet, and throw her in the water. You know, from this one, what I really noticed is when she's um, struggling in the water, when she gets to that point where she's calm, um, the camera pays close attention to her hands and what her hands are doing. And she's kind of waving her hands as if she's uh, weaving. And the river seems to slow down. So I kind of got Ooh. the impression that she actually slows the river down with, uh, with her weaves. In this moment. Interesting. And she's not even conscious she's doing it yet. Yep. I was yep. just thinking cinematography. <laughs> I was actually wondering if the river, like the initial part that they push you in is also faster and rougher. Could be. Because there was a lot less rocks when she goes further down. I mean, there's they've got some white water on it, but it's off to the side where some of the stuff she was going through before was a lot more rocks around. Uh, I, I kind of see where you're going with this. So they yeah. kind of, they're, they're, so they're like, okay, we're going to push you in the water and you're going to struggle for a bit. And then you're going to figure out if you, if you lay back and just go with it, you're going to be okay. But what we don't tell you is it's a lot rougher at the first and a lot <laughs> calmer at the second. So it's going to work that out that way either way. And this is really not as scary as, as we're making it out to be, but you know, it teaches our, our girls a good lesson. Is so, that where you're going? So we need okay. to, we need the women's circle ceremony where the, um, the laughing stock girl of the town ends up continuing to struggle when she hits the, uh, the soft part of the river that someone has to tell her, Hey idiot, stand up. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she's, she's laying on the stand bar and still acting like she's drowning. Yeah. However, I did have a, a two, a, two new thoughts from watching it this time. One is I really wanted the line to follow. Trust the river. 
Just don't trust us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't trust me. Right after saying trust the river, she it's not like a let me help you in the water or anything. It's a, like boom. Um, um, the other thought I had, and, and, less and, on the and fun- actually, before you continue on with that, yeah. uh, we a story from behind the scenes on the show is uh, that was one of the first scenes they filmed, and apparently, um, um, the the actress playing Nynaeve actually really gave her a good solid shove in that scene and she wasn't expecting it so so what you see on there was very much exactly what it was um the other thought i had less on the funny side is everybody's at the bar drinking like they know it's all right has there been one who didn't make it back and how long before they figured out and anyone went looking for the person who didn't make it like they didn't meet her at the shore. And it, part of it is she has to get back on her own. I get that. But they're all already 12 sheets to the wind before she even arrives. There's no scouts. If suddenly somebody came in like, yeah, she should have been back Those by centuries. now. And then like, the search party would be drunk. I would I would think somebody has to be watching from somewhere. Even if, they, even I if would the hope. rule is you have to make it back on your own, you would think somebody's looking out to see if they have to fish your body out of the river or something yeah because i can't swim so i'd be fine yeah. well so <laughs> i did notice um later on when uh rand is specifically asking her how it went the camera pans down to a freshly um yeah she takes a wound on her arm she takes uh, some I, damage i assume happened from the river and then Nynaeve patched her up before they went back into town so it's not exactly and- a safe process I, I think the fact that nobody was there to greet her when she came out of the river to make sure she was okay kind of leans into that idea that we were having that, you know, maybe this isn't as dangerous as it looks and they <laughs> they know what they're doing. So, so Or maybe they just watch her through the difficult part of the river. And then when she gets to the part where all she needs to do is stand up, they're like, all right, let's go drink. She's fine. <laughs> so, there, so there's two things I Eventually noticed. she'll figure out she can stand up. <laughs> There's two things I noticed. One is that her when she returns to the inn, she's wearing different clothes she, and she's dry. She went and got changed. So somebody knows she's back in town. Somebody's seen her return and go and get cleaned up. Or somebody took her and, and cleaned her up, which is probably naive. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that her father is incredibly relieved to see her. He's And he yes. starts to say, I thought, so you know that at some point, some women didn't make it. They hit their head or, you know, they had yeah. something happen. There's also the whole concept of how secretive they keep it, which can make it sound way more dangerous. And like the dad doesn't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the men he have any idea. The mom's fine with it. They, they could be going out on some uh, hunt with wild boars and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It may be just that they have no clue what the ceremony yeah, yeah, actually yeah, is. Yeah, the men are just like, I don't know. All I know is it's dangerous, and they show up soaking wet. That, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and when you leave a vacuum like that, the rumors that oh, would be oh, passed yeah. around amongst all the people who've never gone fighting sea would monsters. just be these horrific, like, oh, they go fight a wildebeest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you imagine the young girls and what they're thinking going into this, too? 
Yeah. I was about to say maybe you're told at some point and like your little brother like overhears and then like the brothers go tell the cousins and their friends. And so the boys grow up with like they they don't know, but the girls figure it out eventually. And they're like, oh, it's it's cool, guys. It's chill. But, you know, the dudes <laughs> never get to that point. So it's just it's just big and scary and secret. It's an interesting way to create uh, a, a, a um, not a balance, but uh, a, giving a foot up to where a lot of a lot of family dynamics the brothers because physicality is so much of childhood will like be more dominant on the female siblings um and like this gives a chance to kind of like give a bit of power to the other side of oh yeah well i'm gonna have to go through this big scary thing that might make the the it, it might be an evening factor i might be looking too much into this but i don't know um and then uh, the the final scene in this is uh Egwene washing up on the sandbar and uh this was pointed out by simon in a previous episode that she washes up in the pose of the hanged man from uh, tarot cards tarot. Yeah. yeah um and i i know nothing about tarot but i i know other people here know a little bit about it if if anybody has anything to say about that so the hang the hanged man kind of um there's a number of references. One of the things it hails back to is um, Odin's sacrifice, where he gives up an eye in exchange for uh, being able to see the future. So the idea is that you have someone who is making a great sacrifice in order to um, gain something else that is more important to them. And it's... Oh, Almost like uh, giving giving up your your boyfriend so that you can become a wisdom. Almost. Exactly. <laughs> ah, well that that's. Huh. So that's yeah, so very appropriate <laughs> for for the rest of Egwene's journey. And then our next scene, we have uh, Tam and Rand, and they're on the quarry road. And this, I'll tell you from the books uh, after the prologue, this is the very first scene of the actual books. Rand and Tam on the quarry road heading into town. Um, th this is where, you know, this is where when I first watched it, like I just got giddy and got tears in my eyes. Cause you know, this is a scene that I've seen in my head so many times, but we have Rand, uh, Tam and Rand and they're walking into town and, and they hear a cat and <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, they, they hear wolves, uh, off in the distance. Oh yeah. That, that doesn't Those still doesn't sound vicious. like a wolf. <laughs> Try again. Try again. Yeah, yeah. Very vicious wolf there. Um, anyway, they, they hear wolves off in the distance, and uh, you hear Tam say something's pushing them down from the mountain. I wonder what that could be. Yeah, I wonder. Well, one of the things that was interesting about that scene is the immediate reaction with the bow, mm -hmm. which, you know, good. You've got, you've got Rand there to be a bit of a protection for the cart. You know, one person can focus on the cart. The other per person can focus on whatever might be a threat. And then the other side of the threat is you've got the, the you know, nice, able-bodied teenager to throw rocks out of the way of the cart. But in that same moment, you've just heard the wolf. And then it's like, okay, well, the wolves are being pushed down. Toss bow on ground. Keep like, <laughs> wait, that, that wolf didn't like go away. <laughs> it, it's still right there. I mean, good. Yeah, get the rocks, but maybe have one person still watching where the wolf's coming from. Not, oh, it's just a wolf. We're good. <laughs> but if a wolf is, what would hunt a wolf? That's scarier. You might want to keep that bow on you. 
<laughs> and just throws it on the ground, picks it up after throwing a few rocks. I did notice, Very though, calm in that moment. Tam's staff is not just a staff. He has a yes. spear on the end of that staff. But they're not... He wasn't in any type of, like, protective pose. He's, they're just he doesn't chatting. have to be. It's not like, I could throw this if something popped out. Yeah, He's, yeah. I was going to say, he Tam's like land in that... You know, yes. he doesn't have to be ready to go. He's, he's always ready to go. He doesn't have to look soldier. like he is. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. What I thought was cute about that scene was Rand immediately leaping to defend his father. And I'm like, you have no idea what your father is capable of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's very sweet. <laughs> and you have to have hear Tam's head going like <laughs> this guy. Every time he does something like I'm that. I'm sure he's very proud of his son. Yeah. So the other question I have is, uh, I think everybody's assuming that the wolves are getting pushed out of the mountains by the Trollocs, but what if the wolves aren't getting pushed, but the wolves are coming towards something? I hadn't thought about that. Mm. When isn't it wolves that were um, in the symbol that we see in a little bit? Uh, well, no. It, we find I, out later, like the Trollocs came out. I, of. I'm just thinking of a certain person we know that ha- seems to have a connection with wolves. Oh yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, true. I hadn't thought too. of that. It might. I mean, we can see a couple of signs that Egwene is starting to unconsciously show her power. So maybe parents mm-hmm. going through the same thing. Yeah, maybe it's a. It could be a little column A, a little column B, a little of uh, hey, there's some Trollocs up here, and maybe we should head towards the the guy who can talk to us and let him know. You know. Um, so our next scene, uh, we've got, uh, oh crap, I lost my point place in my notes. Um, but, 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 so for our next scene, we, uh, we're in Emmons field now and, uh, we get to kind of get introduced to the whole town. They kind of do a, a big show of the town. We see the village green. We see lots of people doing lots of things in town. Um, and then, uh, we go into the wine spring Inn, where the women's circle is getting absolutely fucking hammered. They, they know Egwene is okay at this point. <laughs> Somebody <Yep>. knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to me, I was, I was really enjoying this because it reminded me, it, I, I'm, I'm loving the, the gender flipping that's happening that, that Rafe has been putting in here with a lot of things. And the first thing that it reminded me of was like guys going and celebrating at the sports bar. Yeah. Like guys, when they have a big victory or whatever, they, you know, a lot of times they will go to the sports bar and just get hammered and have this great time. And and that's what they seemed like to me is guys getting hammered at the sports bar. So it, it was just a little bit of a, a gender swap of, of expectations there, I guess. And along that same line, when, you know, the dad's like, okay, we'll come here. And she's like, no, they yeah. just drink it with yeah. us. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, uh, we see Matt. He's losing at gambling. Uh, everyone is is having a great time. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's an unexpected thing that Matt is losing at gambling. That, that seems everyone to be... except Matt is having a great <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's um, just another Saturday. Matt losing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, there there's some talk of soldiers up at Terran Ferry, and they're 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 uh, heading south to Gildan for some kind of war or something that's happened down in Gielden. Um Now, if memory serves, that's the ferry that the, the rope and the boat cross. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and Gielden, as we remember, is where we see um, Loghain later on uh, turning the king of, of Gielden into his follower. 
So I think we know exactly what the soldiers are heading to Gilden for. Yep. I'm sorry. In the show, they say Gilden, but uh, it, it's been Gilden to, to me for so so long. Tomato, tomato. Gilden, Gilden, tomato, tomato. Exactly. Potato radio. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. That one just broke me. Uh, <laughs> All right, and then uh, Egwene returns. Uh, she walks in and gets the, the cheers treatment. Everybody's, Norm! And uh, Master Alvir, her father, uh, is like, oh, thank God you're back. Uh, we've got so many customers here. Put on your apron. And, of course, Dace Conger is like, uh, no, you can go kick rocks, Dad. She's going to drink with us. She's part of the Women's Circle tonight. And Women's Circle rules. Women's Circle rules! <laughs> 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 And then uh, Rand is sad, which which we see is kind of a, a ongoing thing. Rand just standing around being sad. Well, I, I noticed much more of the her like looking at him and then looking away. Like I noticed that more significantly in this watch. She's got a guilty secret. Like Rand knows the breakup is coming. He's just waiting for it to hit him in the face. Very much so. Um, and then uh, uh, we're introduced to Lan, who who come in comes in and is a massive drama queen. Very theatrical entrance. None of it <laughs> yeah. was necessary. No, no, not, not <laughs> He's bored though. He's Let's practiced that entrance yeah. in a mirror so many times. Oh yeah, Lan's like these backwoods hicks have no idea what they're gonna be. What's coming? He's Check bored though. He's got to do yeah. something for fun. <laughs> I mean, like on the mountaintop. Tell me he didn't sound, like, irritated that they hadn't found the dragon yet. The dude is bored with this journey. Well, I, I think he's pissed off about having to go to the Two Rivers, because she was like, I, we're going to the Two Rivers next, and he was just like, ugh. <laughs> well, that's even <laughs> more boring, right? right? Now we're going to an even more boring place. Uh, so we are introduced to uh, Lan and Moraine and, and everybody... Once they realize that she is a Sedai, uh, everybody kind of immediately <gasps> and and treats her with with an in, insane amount of respect and fear or fear Back whispers I... and <laughs> uh, you know there's there's a, a similarity between respect and fear I would say um, and and you notice she she looks around the room and kind of immediately spots out everybody in the age range she's kind of looking for. You know, she she looks at Egwene. She kind of looks over. She sees Rand and and Perrin. You know, she's she's already, yeah. These are my people. I, I still think she's got like a expertise in the magic that allows her to pick out Tavirin and and see him. That was going to be my question. Easier. Does she know? Yeah. Because, I mean, we can we can talk about it when we get to that scene. Um, she corners Nynaeve individually. Well, that was that was my question because Nynaeve's not one of the four that she went there for. So, is there was Nynaeve in the tavern? Yes. Yeah, she's drinking with everybody. Yep. So, in that moment that she's looking around, did she have a moment that she looked over and was like, "Wait a minute, that one fits too." Yeah, and seems to be Taviran. Interest because that's the first one she goes to. Unless we just didn't see scenes, she doesn't go check on the other the four that she went there for. She goes to check on the fifth one that's a surprise. Well, and I would also say um, people who are trained in the power can 
usually sense the ability to channel in other people who have the power if they're close enough to them. Oh, like a gaydar. Yeah, yeah, very much like a gaydar. <laughs> and so uh, we we later on we see exactly how powerful Nynaeve is. So I think that most likely Moraine walked into the room and it was like there was a klaxon, like a foghorn in the corner going, "Hey, I can channel," you know. That is that is a good point because I just realized that um, the only one of them. Well, I guess Matt doesn't either. I don't remember if they specifically have her look at Matt, but I know that when she looks at Rand, um, Perrin is with Rand, and Perrin's not one that can channel, so she doesn't specifically look towards okay. Perrin by himself. I do need to point this this uh, little tiny point of order out. Um, women can sense under other women who can channel. Men who can sense other men who can channel, but crossing the streams generally doesn't happen unless it is a a special ability that that one person has so that it, it wouldn't necessarily be her seeing who can channel then it is the Tavirin port part of it because she does specifically look towards the boys and the boys are by themselves they're not with one of the other girls if she's if she's looking for people in their early 20s though and are we also are we sure or I, I know we've had conversation. I don't remember what the answer was. The his, whatever's going on with Perrin, is that a connection to the source, or is that yet another thing? Yeah, we we haven't gotten an answer to that yet. Says Ruark as if he doesn't <laughs> know, <laughs> as if they don't know. Y yeah, I, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, uh, continuing on, we, we get a little, some character setup scenes. Um, we get uh, Perrin and, and uh, Elsa, his wife. Yes, I know her name isn't Elsa, but, you know, she, she ends up frozen in a fridge. So, we'll, we'll just call her Elsa. <laughs> As I was like, oh, his face Rourke goes knows nuts. something I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so we see uh, them and the, their kind of sticky relationship, and I'm I'm definitely thinking now that yes, they are trying to indicate that she is definitely pregnant. Yeah, um, the the indicators were I got all that there. Sense, they, they, yeah. they kept touching her stomach. They kept, you know, yeah. Th there was a it, it wasn't spoken outright, but it was there. And it's also a reason why um, Egwene would be like, uh, "Go freaking work the forge. She shouldn't yeah. be doing that." Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we also get to see uh, Matt and and his uh, special relationship with his parents. Um, yeah. Um, did we see anything new here, um, or just you know? No, just clarification. I was kind of admiring how clearly they laid out the lovable rogue character for Matt because when um, he's always the first one to ask people what's wrong, like when yeah. Rand is sulking. He's the first one to go over and say, what's going on? What happened? When, you know, Perrin is grieving, Matt is the first one to go over and lay his hand on Perrin's shoulder. Like he's, and then the obvious relationship with his sisters. I'm just like, you managed in one episode to get a very clear personality type for this, for this character. Definitely. But there is also with the moment with Perrin and Rand and Matt, there's a good reason Perrin doesn't want to ask Rand how it went. 
<laughs> Rand doesn't want to. I mean, a parent doesn't want to start that conversation. <laughs> and then our next scene, uh, we are back at Wine Spring Inn. Um, we've got uh, the Althors and the Alviers, uh, both of the families, helping to clean up. Uh, they're they're cleaning up. And they're talking about the war and. Uh, Tam says, uh, I said I don't fight in wars. They pull their strings from their white tower. And and I'm sure the first time that that we watched this, you probably thought he was he was being poetic and didn't realize he was actually talking about in an actual white tower. So we when I re-listened to uh the episode that we recorded about about uh the very first Oh, that was smart. Show <laughs> and we were all like, <laughs> he was a warder. He was a warder. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> convinced <laughs> the, the adults go away and uh we get uh eggy and randall um they're they're getting tense um and he he talks about you know when he used to bring her berries when they were young and then he tries to shove a pocket berry in her mouth that's a pristine berry for having been in his pocket all day long it's warm because it's been in my pocket and she rightfully goes what <laughs> i thought that was hilarious because i I had a tomato plant last summer and my godson was obsessed with it, a five-year-old at the time. And that he literally, like when I let him pick the tomatoes off this plant, that's what he would do. He would literally carry it. And then he went to my mom was like, auntie, I have a tomato. Do you want some? And she was like, hold up. <laughs> Where did this tomato come from? <laughs> right so, around with a tomato just, in your pocket all day. It was not... Like the romance was shot for me because a memory <laughs> overlaid it. <laughs> In this watch, it was a little interesting because she takes the berry from him. And the hand that takes the berry, if I watched it correctly, is also the one that like immediately mashes into his neck to grab him for the kiss. <laughs> so she either threw it over the back or she rubbed that berry in. <laughs> so, so it's like she was putting the, the kick me sign on. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, then then uh, Eggy says to Randall, "Hey, hey, you know what time it is? It's business time." And they they get down to make a business. And then we switch to a scene with uh, we get Lan and Moraine in in the hot tub, and uh, we we get Malkir's ass. Oh my! So I was looking for scars because you see his back in the scene, you know, later on with with Nynaeve where he's all marked up. It's very hard to focus on his shoulders. In that shot, I will say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I noticed him more on the front shot, rolling around his shoulders, than I did on yeah, the, the shot of his Yeah, he has some on back. his biceps that you can see from the front. I just loved the way he he didn't but did ask for her to make the water hotter. <laughs> could be hotter. That's such a great scene. It I love that could scene. could be hotter. <laughs> Intent. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing about that scene that still gets me is somehow they were able to make that scene which should feel all all sexy and ha 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 and and they made it just feel like two old friends taking a bath together like you know this this is two kids in 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 the bathtub you know and it was very locker room and yeah, not yeah. like porn it was just like gross <laughs> but yeah. not not as innocuous as like Westworld like. Westworld is in your face uh, nudity that you like feel nothing about, but you actually feel something in this scene. But it's not the sexies. It's there's so much fondness, like 
these two people are very close. They've been on the road together for a long time dealing with, you know, whatever, you know, camping in the woods. <laughs> I don't know. Huddling together for warmth, whatever they need to. I, I just find I love how well they were able to make take a scene that should be sexy and use it to show you what these people's relationship actually is. Just it shows the high quality of cinematography of this entire show. Like I was I was admiring again, and we've talked about it before, the low light lighting in this show when you've got a fire or a torchlight or something like that. I've watched so many shows recently where it's just terrible in the dark. You can't see what's going on. You have to strain for it. You just don't have that with this. Yeah, I, I'm I'm loving it too. They 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 are saying, you know what? Yeah, it's dark, but we're still going to put light on it so that you can actually see what the fuck is going on. Well, and the art of being able to make that like light look fire based, natural. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually was noticing that in in part of that scene because, or in, in part of the uh, the the scenes in in the common room, because a lot of the light was coming from the fireplace, and for a minute I thought that the color saturation on my screen was off because everything was so orange, and then I realized no, they're actually like working with the light source, and and I, I dug it. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the the behind the scenes you had us uh, watch. For when they're going through the ways, they kind of pointed that out, and it was really cool to see. Like they had, they had torches like in front, but then behind they had a color changing, additional light that they had matched to the torch to just add a little bit of extra light that was the exact same color. Uh, Post business time, uh, Randall and Eggy, she tells him she's gonna go off to wisdom school, and uh, they ain't gonna get hitched because you know ain't no hitching in the wisdom school. Um, so Rand reacts how you kind of expect Rand will. Not a happy boy. I, I kind of noticed the line this time, um, where he's, he's like, you let me go to sleep. And she said, like, um, I would have had anything to say about it. That telling, telling Rand that it doesn't matter what my opinion is to you. You're going to go your own way. Yeah. Rand stubborn. No. <laughs> um, then we get a, a, shot of outside on the village green and uh, a mirror drawl shows up and is entirely too sexy for a mirror drawl. Honestly, that, that, yeah. I'm too sexy for my eyes. Too sexy for my eyes. <laughs> I'm a mirror drawl. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's <laughs> unnecessary. I'm having nightmares tonight. <laughs> now I want that video. Somebody's needs to make it. Um I did know I, I had a weird moment when the mirror draw came out in the fact that I thought it was the beginning of the attack. It's been a while since I've watched this, and I immediately went, Did I nod off and miss Pat and Fane? What the heck? And I started rewinding to go find the Pat and Fane scene. And Patton shows up right after that. So, like, as I was rewinding to see what I missed, the TV was still playing and got to the scene. I'm like, oh, I, I was wrong. Never mind. There is a, a scene right before the mirror drawl appears where um, Rand has just stormed off. And you see Egwene kind of look up and turn her head around like she's listening to something. And I think that's one of the first indications we see of Egwene 
having some degree of power is that she senses that something's wrong. Nothing's happened yet. He's just in the village, but she knows he's there somehow. That's interesting that uh, um, Moraine obviously senses the the Mirdral coming into town, but it's just okay being in their bath and, and beds until the next day. Well, I don't think she necessarily sensed it coming into town. She's just like, there's one nearby and it's keeping an eye on something. You know, I, I think she may have a, a there's a mirror draw within a mile of you sense, but not necessarily there's a mirror draw right over there in the village green sense. You know, it, it it's not quite a GPS. Yeah, the accuracy is is a large range. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you first open up your 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 find my whatever and like the circles like really big because it's still trying to <laughs> locate it. You know that that's what she gets. She's like it's somewhere in that circle. Then our next scene, uh, where it's the next day and we're back in the village green and we see our friend Padden Fane rolling into town. Uh, Santa Padden's in town. He's looking jolly. All the kids are coming up saying hi. And, and any new thoughts? It's so creepy to know what we know about him now and see him oh, kind of yeah. like rolling in as the friendly peddler. And I'm like, yeah, dude, <laughs> <laughs> beckoning kids with the candy to come to the, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes makes the, makes the, the giving the, the kids wagon. free candy a little little more creepy. Next, we have uh, um, Egwene walking up to Tam, um, and Tam tells her that that Rand got up and left early. He's he's back at the farm already. Um, cause he's, he's being, cause he's being, uh, well, he's being dramatic as, as he's wont to do. Um, and then we see, uh, Perrin and Elsa again in bed, um, again, clutching at his stomach to indicate pregnancy. Um, we see, uh, Matt and Pat and Fane, uh, kind of verbally spar a little bit. Yeah. I, I noticed that he bites it and like, oh, it's not real gold. I'll only give you three, you know. I, it's only worth three marks. Well, you know, give me, give me two. I'll give you one. And he try in the bartering. Peyton keeps going down. Yeah, I'll give you one. I'll give you half. Like, um, but uh, the thing that I was noting was um, after Matt turns away, Patton has a brief moment on his face of like, oh yeah, this. Is, I don't know that it wasn't real gold. I like there was a brief moment of like Patton Fain pulled one over on him. I don't know so much pulled it over on him. I think Matt knew he was being cheated, but he doesn't have any other options. Where else is he going to take this? I, the, the look on the face still was, uh, it, it was a release of Padden Fane's like, expression that he was giving Matt. And it seemed to be more than just, oh, hey, I, I saved a couple marks. It seemed like, oh, this thing's going to sell really well. And I just, you know, it seemed it was a, a much higher uh, deal than... He even painted it out to me. Um, the thing I, I keep coming back to on that scene is the whole reason that Matt is trying to get money for Pad and Fane is to buy lanterns. He wants to buy lanterns, three lanterns for his his family. Mm -hmm. And and he's doing all of this stuff. He's stealing the thing. He's trying to gamble just so he can get lanterns for his sisters. I mean, you you were talking about how they laid out his character right away. That that right there, in in a nutshell, to me, is his character. 
I, I was expecting response, but everybody's just grinning at me. We're just, we're just sitting, I think we're we're just just sitting here nodding. <laughs> you, Sorry, I don't, I don't know how to say he breaks my heart. <laughs> it's, he does. it's also he interesting does. that he... I expect that he knows that his friends are going to pitch in. Like, I get the feeling that that happens every single year. The offering says, we, we came together, here's money for yeah. your sister's lantern. And yet he's still doing all of this to make sure it happens and he can refuse his friends in the end. Yeah, he he would rather sneak around and steal from, from other people in town than accept charity from his friends because he doesn't want he he doesn't want to feel that in that debt. He doesn't want to feel like he's a, a burden on them. Also notice that one thing we didn't really catch um the first time around is Matt makes a point that Padden Fane is really having a lot of trouble with business right now. Like no one's even visiting his cart and he doesn't seem to care too much. Like I don't think that that cart is really of any level of importance to him. Yeah, that the cart is and, just a cover. And, really. And, you know, a a traveling salesman like that, it would be a big concern if you spent time going into the two rivers and no one's buying anything. And then we get uh, Maureen and Lan, they're they're up and about and they're like, "Well, we've got a we've got a mirror draw around and and we're going to have to let's go do some work." Um and uh next our next scene then, uh we've got Rand and, and uh, Egwene, uh, they're up on a cl- cliff top. Uh, Egwene, I guess, came and found Rand, and they get all mushy. Um, Rand says, no, no, I understand. You you have to go. And she's like, but I don't, but you and this. And he's like, yeah, well, your your career is more important than us. So, and, and you know, he, do, he, he does the right thing for her. There's there's a part of that conversation where there's a look that comes over Egwene's face where he's talking about, you know, the the wife that I will have, the children that I will have. And I think there's a point where she realized as he's still gonna have those things, but without me. Yeah. Which is a very like it's it's one thing to say I'm leaving the relationship because I need to pursue my career, but then there's a point where she realizes, but that doesn't mean he's not going to have other relationships. He's still going to get what he wants out of life, in in theory. Because yeah. <laughs> you know. oh, you read it a bit differently than I did. How'd you get it? I got it where Rand's like he's saying I want this, I want that, and he's like with you, Egwene, and Egwene's like <laughs> yeah. Oh, isn't that <laughs> sweet? Nice. About that. <laughs> <laughs> where like she loves Rand, but if it comes down between the life Rand wants for them and something else, she's going to choose something else at this point in her life and be like, "Well, it's sad I don't get that, but you know, no regrets." And I that could have been me projecting because I had a high school boyfriend like that. <laughs> I think I think she absolutely is making the choice that you know she wants what she wants. But I think, like, if she's going to be the wisdom of that town, she's going to see mm. the point where he moves on without her as well. And then he yeets her off the cliff, and it turns into a small town murder mystery. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Different story. She's been yeeted off so many cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> so the the question I want to ask here is: uh, pretend pretend that Rand's vision comes to to fruition. And Egwene is a housewife raising his children while they tend to sheep up in the high mountains of of this area. 
Do we really think Egwene's going to be content with that life? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's Rand's dream. That is very we, we much get not that, yeah. To get that uh, realization later on, right? Because that's what pulls Rand out of the vision that uh, Ishamael presents oh, yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, he realizes because this he is my dream. This isn't her she's, dream. Yep. Yeah. She's not content in that spot. But in that same vein, as much as there is a growth to Rand to that moment, they still don't play this moment. That that final hug isn't him like trying to convince her otherwise. It is it 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 is kind of, they do give him a little bit of that like I do want this for you. I do care about you. So it, it, as much as, you know, we've called him the whiny one for so much, there are moments where he does actually make that as much as he doesn't want to he makes that that effort for her. He's only twenty years old. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, you know that's and this is his first love. Like he's loved her since he was a little kid. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he didn't just stand up and go, "Well, fine then," and and stomp off, you know, says a lot. Or or try to keep convincing her, yeah. or 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 the the ever popular thing going on right now of, "Oh, I'll just stick around, and eventually she'll realize." Like I didn't get that vibe off of that. So then our next scene, uh, we have uh, Moraine comes and finds Nynaeve, uh, who is cleaning out the, the sacred cave where part of their rituals happen. Poking the bear. Uh, yeah, I think that, that would be she, a good way of putting it. She's cleaning the paint off the rocks that we don't get to see from that fun uh, clip yeah, from the... That, that occurred to yep. me this time. So there's a couple things. Um, I, I don't think that it had clicked the first time that I watched this that... She corners Nynaeve first because Nynaeve is the wisdom. She knows she has power. And she even says to her face, I think you're strong. She's trying to figure out how old she is to figure out if she fits in the prophecy. And so she keeps poking her like, how long have you had your braid? Until she figures out, okay, you're too old so I can cross you off my list. But I think... I think even though she's aware that she's too old, she's still like, I can sense your power from like over there. Yeah. Like, so she I, I, I don't care if you to are too first. old, you're still coming with me. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I think hadn't clicked for me until that moment was the original plan had not necessarily been to grab all the 20 year olds and skeet. It had been to hang around and corner them all one by one until she figured out who it was. The Trollocs forced her hand to take them all and run because yeah. she didn't have time. But had had the Trolloc attack not happened, the plan had probably been she and Lamb would stay at the village, talk to each of them individually, and test them individually until she figured out this is the one I want and just take that person. I, I would venture to say that even if she figured out that, that Rand was in fact the dragon... After talking to both Egwene and Nynaeve, she is not going to be like, oh, hey, I, I happen to run into the two most powerful female channelers that we've seen in a thousand years. Yeah, I just left them in their small town. I, I think <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I no, I, I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you there, but it, the, I, I hadn't realized that the original plan had not been just scoop the 20-year-old yeah. Tavirans and get them back to the <laughs> tower, and then we'll sort it shit out when we get there. She did say you're strong, but I also noticed more this time than I did in previous watch. Uh, how she also employed a neg. 
Everybody else says you're weak, but you know, I wanted to say you're strong. <laughs> She's trying to get a reaction. I was like, oh! <laughs> you could have just said you're strong. You didn't need to like, I'm going to crap talk you. <laughs> There, but there you was... got to admit, the way to get Nynaeve to do something that she doesn't mean to do is to piss her off. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She played She played the power levels really, really well. Like, while Nynaeve was down in the pool, she kept, like, standing right next to her, taller than her. Yeah. yeah. And, and full and, height, and not ever squatting to nothing. Like, it, I'm going to talk literally down yeah. to you while we have this that conversation. That was the, the thing that I did notice this time that I hadn't noticed previously was uh, the point where Nynaeve actually tried to get out of the the pond and Moraine was blocking her way and she ended up like going down, coming up a different way. Like, th- yeah, that, that power dynamic was really interesting to watch. Yeah. Definitely poking the bear. Yeah. Um, and then during this conversation, uh, Nynaeve realized that she, or Nynaeve re- reveals that she is carrying this huge grudge on behalf of another person against Aes Sedai. With good reason yep. from the sound of mm-hmm. it. I mean, I, it would be interesting to find out, you know, I, I'm one of those people that has always been open to there being like your side, my side, and then what actually happened because bias invades. Um, and I'm the, the curious. The Rashomon principle, as it were. Sure. Um, the uh, the whether or not that interaction went down, how Nynaeve was told. Yeah. It, so one, it, it, was it just they looked at the clothes and said no? Was there a test of power? And you're just not powerful enough. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like how I, there is a curiosity I have of was it as as uh, as drastic as Nynaeve knows. Er, believes it too. That's actually what I thought too. Be- well, I was like, well, why would they turn her away? Like, I know they bring in knowing, well, we know now um, that they bring in, you know, people who are not qualified, not powerful enough to be Aes Sedai, but they get trained up anyway. But if those nobility, people tend though. to have, right, they have power of some sort. Yeah. So was it a case of, oh, they looked at her and she's raggedy and she comes from nothing because that's not the case with Swan. Yep. Swan showed up raggedy, comes from nothing, has nobody from nowhere, essentially. And they're like, yeah, we got to get on this one. So I like it doesn't necessarily translate that that would be the case unless she couldn't qualify because I get the impression if you're a white, if you're in the White Tower, you're accepted anyway. Like everybody starts from scratch. Like there's no... At least on paper, there's no special privileges. There's no, you know, you're all wearing the same uniform. You all get the same supplies. Like I, and so being poor wouldn't necessarily be the the determining factor. Or her attitude when she showed up was what determined whether or not she stayed. Because if she had the same kind of uh, pompous, naive attitude of I'm I'm the one who defines the situation. Maybe that's what turns them away. If she's just only a low-level power, then stop, oh, get out of here. Good enough you're, to you're be not a wisdom. Trainable. Good enough to be a wisdom of a you know a small town, but you're not going to be anybody's eyes to die. They I, don't train the Anakins of the world. They actually tell them no and send them on their way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so this assumption... one has a little bit too much dark side. Send them back. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> My assumption was that a lot of those decisions are kind of set by the Amerlin, and so under Swan, because she herself comes from a much more working class background, 
the wisdom might have been received. She might have been taken in, whereas the previous Emerlyn might have been much less interested in people who do not have, as you say, either a, a certain minimum level of power, either magical or, you know, in, in status. The concept of the nepotism that we've just been talking about did have me with the funny thought of those, like, there's also the platinum Sedai, which are the nobles that come in. They have no ability. And it's, oh, you're a platinum Sedai. They put them in a room together and just have, yeah, you're, you're totally Sedai. Have your mom keep sending us money. The punch oh, I'm, cards I'm, are on the table. I'm, I'm kind of loving this idea. It, it's it's kind of like the, the, the honorary doctorate that you give to yeah, the rich yeah, person yeah. so that they buy you a new, a new campus building somewhere. Yeah. That new wing on the White yeah. Tower came from the Platinum Sedai. Yeah. <laughs> so then next we have a, a bunch of little vignettes. Um, we get uh, the dumbass triplets uh, sitting around on uh, having beer together, uh, Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Um, then uh, Rand and Perrin give Matt some coin, as, as we were talking about earlier. Um, and, and this, like you said, it kind of feels like... Uh, it feels like this is a, a, a usual thing that they're like, well, you know, Matt needs these for his sister. Let's let's get some coin together and help Matt out. Um, then uh, our next little vignette is uh, Nynaeve and Egwene uh, listening to the wind. And the wind um, sounds wrong. Yeah, that that wind sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of trollicky. They're just smelling him on the wind. That they don't be listening. Oh, at yeah. All. That's, yeah. That's, they're not actually listening. They're just smelling the wind. Yeah. Well, well, I know to not stand downwind. Um, then we uh, we we see Lan out in the forest, and he finds a bunch of dead sheep in the form of a dragon's fang. They waste a lot of meat. Yeah, yeah. They just seem to eat the uh, the guts and nothing else. Then we see uh, uh, Tam and Rand. Uh, they are uh, lighting a, a candle for Kari, uh, Rand's Rand's mother. Um, and uh, Tam, at this point, gives a, a Jonathan Kent to Clark Kent speech that came from his toenails. Like, that was that was the most Paw Kent speech I have ever heard in my life. That, that was beautiful. I just love the phrase, came from his toenails. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, I've never heard that one. Just, uh, just, just the, 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 you know, we, the reason that we do it, and we try to do better each turn, and, and, you know, we, we can't necessarily remember what we did last time, but that doesn't mean we can't try to do better this turn, and, and, you know, it, it, it just, you know, it, it, like I said, it's pocket, and, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we get Perrin and Elsa. They're still standing around, being sad, waiting for her to die, um, and then we get uh, Eggy and and. Moraine, uh, they kind of spot each other across the stream while while all the little lanterns are going past, and and kind of a moment of what the fuck are you doing here? What the fuck are you doing here? I'm not doing nothing. You're not doing nothing. What, what, uh, and then they move yeah, on. Yeah, I saw this is Moraine is trying to corner the next one on her list. There's a river in the way. <laughs> I part the rivers. <laughs> And then we get to the village green, uh, where Egwene shows up and everyone is dancing and having a good time. And, 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 uh, I think we said it the first time that, that we reviewed this, but the music, I, I absolutely love the music in this show. And especially like this, cause, because in, in so many of these shows, they, they fall back on a, a, 
like a traditional kind of Celtic sound or, or just that high choral sound or something like that. And they just have, you know, guitars and washtub basses and, and, and things like that, that you would actually find in just any small town. And, and it sounded like just small town folk music and, and, I don't know. It, it it came across as more genuine than yeah. most most of these fantasy shows do. You know, great soundtracks do well, that. We talked about that with the costuming, how how everything in the costuming looks to fit where that person came from, what they would have had access to material wise. Like they did a similar thing with the music. They made it feel like this music comes from this area. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that made the Titanic soundtrack so really genuine and good also was that they kind of dove into what the moment was and what the music meant and the type of instruments that would be found and seen and used in that moment yeah. and played off of that. We, we see uh lamb in, in the forest uh, meeting up with Moraine and he tells her that the fade has dozens of Trollocs with them, and uh, we might want to eat out here. PDQ, uh, this this berg ain't going to be a berg for much longer. Let let's let's eat, and then we go back to the village green where Egwene is dancing with Tom Thane, the son of the miller. Um, and I, I have to tell this story because last night I was writing up my notes and I was trying to figure out who it was that Egwene was dancing with, and I hit the X-ray features and it came up and it said Tom Thane. And I just said, oh, Tom Thane, that's the son of the miller. And and Madeline, my wife, sitting behind me, just started laughing. Just laughing at me. I don't know why. Apparently, because that was incredibly geeky. But it, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's a <laughs> little bit. <laughs> One of those spouse moments that you just you're, can't understand and, and or explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your experience with that, and, and David probably has a similar experience with some of the, um, because I know you've read a lot of the Star Trek. There's, there's an experience to like, oh, yeah, they named that background character that nobody mm -hmm. knows. And I know who that is because I've read and know the whole town's yeah, history yeah. and everybody and their relationships and who hates who. And you have that extra knowledge. So the fact that it was just so natural to you to just be like, oh, yeah, it's the Miller. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. It, it was very much like, like that. It was just like, you know, somebody I knew from my past, like, oh, yeah, that, he's, he's the Miller's kid. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that implies that somebody knows who the Miller is. <laughs> like, it's, it's the chain that, that the other people like, oh, that's Fred's daughter. <laughs> Who's Fred? I don't know. <laughs> you know, Fred. Are we supposed no, to know this No, I don't know Fred. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, we, we get Egwene a, a, a dancing with the son of the Miller, Tom Thane. Um, and uh, then uh, yeah, and, and then And then we hear uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Trolloc Axe. Interrupting, interrupting Trolloc Axe. <laughs> oh, oh. Oops. And, uh, yeah, the Interrupting Trolloc Axe uh, comes right through Tom Thane. And, and madness ensues. Yes. At poor Miller. <laughs> womp womp. At least he didn't see it coming. Yeah. Oh, 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 I missed oh. a joke there. And then and then uh, a Trolloc says, it's Miller time. And throws, throws an axe. <laughs> <laughs> it's Miller time. Um, <laughs> he's now Miller Light. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So madness ensues. 
fire and brimstone raining from the sky. Dog Trollocs and tra- dogs cat together. Trollocs living together. Yeah. Um, better version yeah, of no. it. Better version of it. Well um, done. So then we, we get another set of vignettes. Uh, we get uh, Egwene and, and Nynaeve trying to hide. And, and they, of course, because they're both wisdoms or wisdoms in training, wisdom and wisdom in training, I guess. Uh, they they find a, a gentleman who's got a wound and they're gonna try to fix him. Um, and then we also see uh, a quick shot of Pat and Fane, who just kind of looks around, is like, "Yeah, this is fun," and then just dips out. Not suspicious at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, we see uh, Perrin and Elsa go to the forge, um, and we see the Fade above town observing all the chaos. I, I think in his fade mind, he's just going, yes, yes, feed my pretties. <laughs> What's going on? I can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep, smells like chaos. <laughs> um, and, and then we see Matt. And, and what is Matt doing? He's looking for his sisters. Of course he is. Rogue with heart of gold. Rogue with heart of gold. I I kept telling you guys from the beginning that that he the character of Matt reminds me of nobody more than Han Solo. Yeah, he just he is Han Solo in in so many ways. I mean, you think of Han Solo like he's always about himself. He's always about getting the gold. He's always about blah blah blah. But then when Luke didn't come back from being out on on patrol on Hoth. He's like, get me a tauntaun. And they're like, you won't even make it to the first marker. And he's like, well, then I'll see you in hell because my friend is out there. You know, yep. it's yep. it's like it, at that point, it doesn't matter. He's doing the right thing. And that that's Matt. That's just Matt. We transfer over to the Althor farm um, and we get a Narg attack. Ah! As I told you, uh, this this is the one Trolloc in the books who has a name and his name is Narg. Who is he the son of? Uh, he, he's the son of, uh, of a Trolloc tailor, actually. Uh, cool. His father was a tailor and his, his mother was just a, 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 a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> By a weird coincidence, I think he's the son of Moog. <laughs> <laughs> Glory to your house. Um, I'm glad the Trolloc yeah, so, doesn't talk. I would pee on myself if I saw that. <laughs> I'm, I, it's going to happen in one of the books. You know we're going to end up with like an intelligent Trolloc. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Narg comes in and tries to give glory to the house. And uh, Tam's like, well, you know what? I've got this really pretty sword. And he pulls it out. And, and we discover Tam has a very pretty sword and he knows how to use it. And Rand is surprised, which is great because they live in like this little tiny cottage. <laughs> Somehow he's managed to keep a sword hidden for 20 years. I noticed how really well he wields the spear first before he gets to the sword this time around. Like, he has some serious moves with that spear. Yeah. Yeah, well, he he was a soldier, and soldiers don't train on just one weapon, so. Um, And then, uh, yeah, Tam's showing his pretty blade uh, after he drops his spear, and then uh, Rand, uh, Rand goes, hey, Trolloc, knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? Interrupting spear. Interrupting, Interrupting spear. spear. Oh. And uh, right through the Trollocs throat. It's Nog time. No, yeah. it's, not <laughs> uh, it, it's Nargan time. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it had been a good Narg day is a to very die. popular Trolloc <laughs> beer. We just don't. We're not Trollocs. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So then we go back to the village green um, where we see um, a Trolloc come running right at, at Nynaeve and, and Egwene. Um, and the Trolloc's like, be scared. And Egwene, or Nynaeve's like, uh, no, you should be scared. I love that scene. That is Nynaeve all over. She just like holds up the knife and just roars right back at him. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, you think, oh, you think you know how to roar? Let check this out. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, Moraine from off screen just kind of uh, rings the, the Trolloc in like a rag. And uh, then we see Lan, who's getting all Kurosawa on some Trollocs. Um, and then we see the women's circle show up and drunkenly get medieval on some Trollocs. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Women's circle rules! Women's circle rules! <laughs> <laughs> Now you're um, really going to play up that gender swap, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> the women's circle are now going to become the masculine uh, part of this story. Um, so then uh, we see uh, Perrin and Elsa there at, at their forge, and some Trollocs have, have gotten into the forge, and uh, Perrin kind of goes a little nuts on on a Trolloc, and, and uh, we see him go what I would call berserk. That was definitely kind of a, a berserker rage that he was yeah, in yeah. there. And uh, Perrin then discovers ex what the opposite of plot armor is. I don't know what plot armor is. <laughs> uh, plot armor is is like, for instance, say you're watching a, a, a uh, prequel to something, and you've seen the sequel, and you know that that character shows up in the sequel. So that character has plot armor because you know uh, there's no way they can die. So yeah, it's kind or, of like how Captain Pike has plot armor because he knows how he's going to die. Yep. Exactly. Yep. We know right. Pike isn't going to die in, during during uh, Strange New Worlds because we know when he does die. Um, and so does he. <laughs> yes. Um, you so, could also but, have like something happens to them or, or there's yeah. like something that they're carrying or there's different ways you can write plot armor into it that's not quite as strong, but it's still plot armor that they're just, you have absolute certainty that that character is going to survive because this exists. Yeah. So in, in this case, Elsa had the opposite of plot armor. Um, you, you start the story with a, a plot target with a character that, that wasn't there in the beginning and really seems to have no good place there that that character is going to be dead she existed to be <laughs> fridged yes yep H hence the name elsa um <laughs> then we see uh uh Nynaeve, she gets yoinked by a trolloc and just dragged off presumably to die which we now know quite better um but that's i think then we all kind of were adamant that we knew quite better <laughs> <laughs> like yeah we no, I don't think there was a member of the panel who was like, oh, yeah, Gwen's out I'm of the fooled. story. I mean, Nynaeve's out of the story. <laughs> there, we were all... There was no weapon wasn't. going through her body. She's still alive. She's going to yeah. stay alive. Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless you see the light go out of their eyes on screen, they're, they're not <laughs> officially dead. Yeah. Don't write them up. Yeah, then when you see them again, it's their evil twin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Moraine and Lan are, are still doing their... their beautiful dance of war with the Trollocs and then uh Moraine gets long distance shanked by a by a Trolloc blade. Um and that just kind of pisses her off and she throws a building at him. Like you do. Like you do. I gotta say, even on the rewatch, I loved the way that was shot. Like you see the scene where she's 
just starts pitching bricks and lands kind of like crouching down out of the way. And then when the building collapses and all the dust is rolling towards the camera, he throws himself over her to protect her. And it was just all in slow motion. It was just so beautifully choreographed. <laughs> yeah. And, and the amazing thing is I, I saw some behind the scenes on that and you would assume that it, it was mostly CGI with just him going over Moraine and then, you know, the, the collapse and all the, all the dust and everything was, was CGI, but it wasn't. Uh, the collapse was CGI, but the dust was actually on scene, and his timing on that was just impeccable. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was done. unbelievable, yeah. Also, whoever their uh, drone camera operator is is going to be like the next up-and-coming need to have for everything everywhere because all their drone shots are just amazing yeah. in this show. Um. So then we, we see the aftermath of everything. Uh, Rand is, is coming back to town. And and he's got Tam, who's injured. Matt brings his sisters back to his parents. Perrin brings out his dead wife, who everybody assumes, uh, I believe, that Trollocs had killed. Moraine comes out and, and heals Tam's wound for him us using uh, the one power because, well, it was poisoned and he wasn't going to heal on his own. And that's when Moraine is, tells them all about the prophecy and says, look, one of you is the dragon. I don't know who, but we all got to bounce because... The Trollocs don't know who either, and they're going to keep coming until they get get you. Um, and that's when they look up and they see the Trollocs descending from from the mountain pass. And then she says the thing. She said the thing. I, I've started trying to repeat the thing. It's like it's a long. Cool thing it's a long me. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't have it down yet. I haven't. Got the wheel it. of time turns, and ages come and pass. Ages that gave it. Blah 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 blah. Mer Myth, legend, birth, much, much, much legend, many myth. Yes. This isn't the beginning, but it's a beginning. <laughs> I yes. remember that part. That's a that's a different thing. And yeah, one that, that, that is the other thing, which is a, a wind arose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and I keep fixating on the fact that that's a past tense statement in that narration. I don't know that you want to read too much into that because I believe that narration was put there because if that if that hadn't appeared in the first episode somewhere there would have been a riot. So I don't know that you need to necessarily read too much into it. So from this, we cannot assume that Moraine necessarily survives. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that. that plot I'm... armor there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Moraine has plot armor because she's narrating it. Um, so any, any other final thoughts about, uh, about the first episode now that, now that we're back through it and have a whole lot more knowledge under our belts. Once I again. I hope they're going to have a second episode. <laughs> <laughs> These people are braver than me. Or a second season at this point. <laughs> yes. Good God. I'm pretty sure Nynaeve is the dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with DW. I still have the Voltron theory. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I was going to ask. Is there, I do love the, the Voltron, Voltron theory. theory. All right. I, I was on board with the Voltron theory for so long. Yeah, same here. <laughs> you know, I'm I, I, still on board with the Voltron theory. I love the Voltron <laughs> theory. It's, 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 it's a beautiful theory. I was I was telling Ruark before we started recording, it's like every episode, and this one was no exception, I sit down with a notepad on my lap, and then I get so caught up in watching it, I don't write anything down. I just, <laughs> I get so sucked into the drama, even though I know what's going to happen. 
So one thing I wanted to bring up, I noticed on this rewatch is uh, for the original viewing, um, or the original times that, that we covered this, um, I would watch it first without taking notes. And then I'd watch it like two or three more times and take notes for, for our podcast. And the funny thing is the first time when I would watch it for me, I would always eat a, a fairly he- healthy quantity of edibles. So I, I you know, it, it was a very intense experience watching it that way. And then I would sit down and like kind of try to take notes and, you know, only kind of half watching. And this was the first time I really just kind of sat and watched and really looked at all the detail without having to take notes or without being out of my gourd. And oh my God, it was so beautiful. It's a very it's pretty, pretty show. show. Like, like right from like, the very I, first I, I, scene I, in Tarbalon yeah, like, with all the ornate windows and and yeah. it's it's pretty. It is. And and like I know I had seen that before, but like I was really focusing on on just tiny details this time around. Like like uh the first time we saw the the wine spring in, I was just like looking at the details on the upper story and the windows and, and the window casings and, and just you know, little things like that and was just like in awe of the detail. And, and they built that. Like yeah. they, mm-hmm. and they burned that down. <laughs> <laughs> like apart from, like I wonder how much the expressions on the townspeople's faces, they're devastated at the loss of their town. It's like these are bi- real buildings that they could go in and move around in. I mean, how much yeah. of that emotion was well, genuine? Well, well like uh the, um the 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 cast were saying in some of the behind the scenes stuff, um like when they first were introduced to the town, like they they kind of all started like Perrin would it, in his off time he would go hang out in the forge because that's like it felt like that's where he was supposed to be kind of thing you know and you know when he's not shooting he'd go hang out in the forge and and it, they were like the town just felt like a town and it it felt like it worked and and I think you're right when they did come in and see it all burnt down they were like whoa you know I, I'm sure I would be. Yeah, what happens sure. when you focus on practical effects versus the the CGI stuff? I mean, the, yeah. it just, you skip stuff in CGI, the background gets ignored in a lot of cases, you know, the actors are looking at a blank green screen. That's yeah, or, just... or they're they're emoting at a tennis ball. <laughs> you you know? Know? Yeah, and yeah, the actually putting the actor in that scene, they... they they actually have something to to react to and, and emote off, and and yeah, I mean, DW can speak to this better than I can. Well, in addition to what you're saying, the the, the fact that you were describing the time they got to spend not on camera in that space, parent hanging out in the forge. One of my favorite examples of an actor like filling out the role so that if anything happened in a scene, they already had what was what that meant to them. Um, the very first Doctor Who. He knew every switch. He knew every knob. He had decided what it did. So when he would play with the board, he wasn't just flipping random switches. Like you could watch somebody on camera, especially if they're background, and they start typing on a keyboard in a way that no human being has ever typed on a keyboard. Or I watched one recently where the person's fingers weren't touching the keyboard because they can't make that noise. So the person's fingers are kind of bouncing over a keyboard and like, ah, but the fact that he's like, oh, I need to turn on the thrusters first and knows which switches the thrusters, all of those decisions, Perrin being able to walk through the forge and know where each tool was is going to help him in that moment when there's 
anything in a script that's later written where he has that comfort level in that. And it does also create a bit more of an emotional attachment, a comfort level with it. Yeah. A like I loved one of the ones I noticed this time around was uh them bringing out the the breakfast for um was it Tam got breakfast? Yeah. 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 And just mm-hmm. the the like I loved the idea of, you know, you're in town and they just have some outdoor seating too. And like it was it it just seems so natural that that happened and it fit with everything because a lot of that comes from the actors deciding that that is natural. That is how we would do it. Yeah. yeah. All the original actors on the original Star Trek, they've said at one time or another that they imagined what all of their consoles buttons did. Like I know Walter Koning specifically and his little thing that he looks into every time he looked into there, he was making sure he decided what was actually in there that he was seeing. And they had that all played out so that they weren't just playing with this lighted switches and, and, and knobs. See, if I had been one of the set decorators for that original Star Trek, like every time he looked in there, I would I would put like a different picture of something in there, just like, you know. Oh, oh, that happens on sets. <laughs> that absolutely happens on sets. You know, he can be like, uh, Captain, there's firing the blah, 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 and then he looks in the thing and there's like a picture of an aardvark and he's just like, what yeah, fuck? Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> What? what? <laughs> um, but one of the ones you can also anyone can see, and it's very obvious. One of the things that annoys me of of actors not having that connection to things is when they're drinking out of like a coffee cup or something that so clearly has no liquid in it. Yeah, yeah. And they even just, just put the, water. The reaction to that cup, weight. the way they carry yeah. that Tip cup, it immediately. everything, yeah. and <laughs> that's where if you help the actor, then the actor can make a connection to it. And what they built with this town was so real and so. Like had the nuances or the, the, you know, you bring up Star Trek, the, the reboot, they were talking about, um, all of the, the little nicks and each sticker actually said what that sticker did or like what, if it was pointing at something that is where the life vests are and it would all be written out for them. So it's so much easier to immerse yourself in it and feel natural in that environment. Any other thoughts about the, uh, the episode? And it's season two. It was good. <laughs> yes, my gosh. Please, I need to know what it's happens to the on the beach. I, I, I love watching these okay. again. Can, uh, can we use our, our connection to Amazon to uh, help manifest the the drop time for the... Yeah, yeah. That, that it would be nice to get that drop time, especially since we know that they're, they're getting ready to start filming season three right now. Wow. Um, <laughs> and speaking of which... Um, there, there has been some uh, news leaks about season three, and I don't know how much you guys want to know about that, but there's one news leak from season three that I think you might might want to hear and might be really excited about, but I'm going to leave that it? up to you guys. What is it? <laughs> Tell me. So, oh, now uh, he's killing us. If it's like an actor... I w- no, would no. definitely want to know if it's a sp- a plot point. I'm not sure I do. It, it, it's not a plot point. It, it's a set. Ooh. They they built a set. Oh, I'll hear a set. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you guys want to hear? Give it, it hear? to me, baby. <laughs> sure. Um. So mm-hmm. so that set that we were just talking about that got burnt down. Yeah. They rebuilt it. They rebuilt it. Oh, yeah. awesome. Oh, I was sweet. literally sitting here going, I wonder if they're ever going to have to do like a flashback or something like that. They're going to have to rebuild that. All of the photos are going to be needed to to make sure they get every nook, nick in a piece of wood exactly the same. And Well, you're, you're <laughs> assuming they're rebuilding it for a flashback. 
Maybe they. Well, maybe it'd be interesting returns. if they're rebuilding it. Maybe Matt finally makes it back to check on his Travel sisters. Back. Well, yeah, there's the sisters. Well, I mean, all of those characters Rourke talks about so lovingly. There's no way that that comes just from. What the you first mean, like book, Tom so. Thane, the son of the Miller, John Thane? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. gonna be a big Tom tombstone as you walk into town. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tom. Though I will say, though, it's an interesting aspect. The uh, in my talk about the the flashbacks, you'd have to make it look the same. Rebuilding it, you can rebuild it. You you yeah. can have different wood. You mm-hmm. can make it slightly different. You don't have to try and match anything. Yeah. So easier in that. But you and also you have to create the backstory of what's going into it. Who could afford to rebuild their stuff? You're going to have um, uh, uh, more realism if some people have like better materials than other people based on where they're at with their finances and stuff like that. You know, when you're building a whole town at the same time. Yeah, I can't imagine Matt's parents have a lot of money for upgrades, but maybe the rest of the town pitches in. Who knows? Anything? Um, I mean, their I would... son's off being a hero, so you know, like yeah. maybe the rest of the town says, <laughs> "Hey, not... you know." So his gambling wasn't exactly bringing in a lot of money before he left town. <laughs> well, it was bringing in a lot of money for other people. <laughs> like well, they're all sad that Matt's gone. They're like, at least Matt. moving it around. <laughs> the gambling community yeah. just crumbled. It's like that's where I used to get my drinking money. It would be kind of interesting to hear what the stories are in town of what's going on because they're. I imagine they don't get a. a like they're fairly physically isolated, so they yeah. wouldn't get a ton of news. But they know that they must know that the war is over. Um, you know, a bunch of their kids left to draw the Trollocs away from them. They know they must know about the the death of the ferryman. Yeah, I mean that that's that would be local news. Um, and yeah, I would say anything from outside the two rivers is probably you know they're getting. Third, fourth, fifth hand news, maybe three or four times a year when, when peddlers and merchants come to town. Maybe Pat and Fane's been back. Yeah. Who knows? And they don't know. They don't know he had anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, quick thought on that. Like, not meaning to be funny, this panel and anybody that watches our show is going to have a different reaction if we meet the Miller in town <laughs> we're all gonna have a genuine like oh that's the guy who lost his son <laughs> anybody else watching it fresh would be like yeah it's the miller what yeah. <laughs> it's miller time <laughs> um yeah and i think with that uh we're we're an hour and a half or more in so i think we'll uh we can wrap this one up. I think an hour and a half covering an hour show for the second time is probably <laughs> probably Good decent for a podcast. We lost our touch. We still got it. <laughs> <laughs> what was that that suggested we could do more than one episode in a single yeah, recording? Yeah, somebody said we could, we could probably do two episodes. <laughs> I did. I did. And I was I'll like, no, it. You, you haven't tried to edit you guys. No, we can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> But we do want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out of the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank, thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. Michael and Jen. And be sure to listen to the other podcasts on the Watch Party Network. Uh, we've got uh, Watch Party Lord of the Rings with Michael and Jen. We've got Watch Party or a Watch Party of Ice and Fire, covering the works of George R. R. Martin. And uh, 
we've also got coming out our watch party gaming uh with watch party gaming watch party sandman watch party endless we're not sure exactly what the name is at the moment until it gets released we'll, workshop but, uh, we'll figure it we'll out workshop yeah but it, <laughs> uh those those first six episodes uh that we covered sandman right here on wheel of time are going to be released as a new new series and uh we've already decided once we're done with this uh rehash of season one of wheel of time we're going to go over there and uh cover the first season of good omens so, can't wait for good omens guys. yeah look forward to that that one's going to be a lot of fun uh so be sure to check out all those other podcasts and you know what i am going to i'm, I'm gonna pump a podcast that isn't on our network um a new podcast just dropped recently it's called what in color um a friend of mine charnice uh in new york and her friend uh put that together and they were they are two uh beautiful black women from the bronx um and and they are reading through the books charnice has read the books before her friend has not um but they are reacting and reacting uh from from their lived experience and and it is a fascinating listen um i i absolutely love it um if you have not read the books and are avoiding the books. Unfortunately, you can't go listen, but <laughs> for those of you who have read the books, you're going to enjoy that a lot. And don't worry. I have already <laughs> talked with them. Um, once they get through the first book and then watch the first season of the show, we're, we're going to work on some crossovers. Yeah. Nice. So, so we're going to get the discussion happening back and forth because, because their show, I'm, I'm telling you, go listen to it. If, if you're not worried about uh, book spoilers, go listen to it. What in color it it's, it's the best new Wheel of Time content out there that that isn't us. I'll, I'll tell you that much right now. And then, of course, you can uh, find us on social media at Watt Watch Party on all the major uh, social media sites. Uh, you can also send mailbag to us to read on air. That That's wattwatchparty at gmail.com. Uh, you can also just go to wattwatchparty.com to get links to all of the above and uh, everything else that we're involved with. And now that we're through with all of that stuff, final question for our panel. Uh, so we've got a big question now. We've got five possible dragons. Who's the dragon? Uh, Axel's not here, so I'm just going to say Bella. <laughs> Bella has to get a vote from somebody. Someone's got to do it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Bella is the cart horse uh, for, for uh, Rand and Tam. Uh, she is a, a wonderful shaggy mare that everybody loves. I'm, I'm still going with the Voltron theory. I, I think it's this character we haven't seen yet, Tom. <laughs> I still just feel like it's all five of them. <laughs> you know, Voltron Theory I'm, lives. I'm, I I'm am too... holding on to this until the bitter end. <laughs> oh, okay, so, Two so votes the question... for Voltron. My side yeah. wins. <laughs> the question now is if 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 uh, they are Voltron, who forms what? I think that might be our uh, our next final question. I think that, yeah, let's, let, yeah. let's think okay. about that. We'll yeah. ponder yep. that one, yep. get into that next, yeah. All right, that works. Who's, who's got the sword arm? Uh, who's the head? Yeah.